it looks, it looks really nice, but it's a very unique place. And one of the few reasons why it is a unique place is just because of its geographical location. As you can see, it's really at the entrance of the Negev Desert. Um, and we drain, Soroka Medical Center, the hospital in Beersheba, drains the entire Negev population. Um, this includes uh, Jews, Bedouins, we'll talk about the different people that we see there, but it's a really large volume of patients. And we don't really have another hospital until you get to Elat. And even in Elat, it's a very small community hospital, so most of the cases that are kind of complicated get sent back to us. We also drain some of our uh, northern uh, sister cities all the way up to Ashkelon, and uh, we see people from the West Bank and the Gaza Strip and from the neighboring <coughs> countries. Uh, so this is the map that we're used to see uh, in school and everything, but when we get to Beersheba as medical students, this is the map that we're given out. And it's a much less uh, happy one where we see exactly uh, how much time do we have as residents of Israel to find shelter after we hear a siren. And just for the sake of argument, we're here in Beersheba and we have about 60 seconds. Uh, um, there what was mentioned a bit earlier in the conference, they have no time frame. They just like, they have, they, sometimes they don't even ring the siren, they just have to find shelter. And the reason why I mention this now is because the threat of terrorism is really real. We deal with that on a daily basis. We have sirens, rockets falling on our heads. And I was very surprised to see that in Israel it drives the physicians to practice what they uh, refer to as a very humanistic approach to medicine. And it's very confusing to me at the beginning as a medical student to uh, this concept of being humanistic. But what it means is that we sort of put our political, religious difference aside and we treat the patients. And it serves two major purposes. It's an amazing Kiddush Hashem because for whoever is looking, the physicians in the south of Israel are um, great human beings. And it also serves that, that Jewish ideal of Tikkun Olam where we just try to heal the world. Um, so this is one of the newest wing of the hospital, the pediatric center. Um, it's a beautiful place. And in terms of medical school in Israel, you have to think about it in sort of being at the middle of this square. And you're dependent on two main factors. Number one is your faculty. Who are your teachers and what can they bring to you? So we'll talk about that. The other thing at the base of this square would be your patient population. If you have a very narrow patient population, your opportunities for research, for involvement in clinical uh, decisions is very small. Um, and the other two things on the side are what are your chances to do research, to study your population, come up with um, significant conclusions, and the other one being what can be your responsibility, your role in the management of your patients. So we'll talk about that. And one of the first body of patients that we see in Beersheba are the veterans. And they present a huge challenge for us as physicians. The first one is that they're roaming the deserts. So in terms of continuity of health, it's pretty much impossible. Don't try to send a letter to a village and expect the patients to come to the hospital because there's no address. And one day they'll be here and then you're maybe going to see them in six months. And that's very, that presents a huge challenge. So for uh, the team of doctors at Zoroka, we usually have mobile clinics. We get on vans and drive into the desert looking for those uh, villages. And once we find them, we try to give them care. And the government has tried to settle them down, build them schools and hospitals, but they, they don't fit. Um, the other main issue with the Bedouins is that they're very close in the community, and they really have a lot of arranged marriages between families who end up being first-degree cousins, second-degree cousins. And the problem with co-sanguinity is crazy. 
because those patients present with genetic diseases that are not even defined in textbooks. But the great thing for us as students, as a physician, is that they give us a great study population. Um, as a second and third year student, you can be involved in a research team and identify mutations, genetic diseases, and my wife, for example, was involved in one of those studies where she identified mutations. I hate genetics. Just, I just don't like it. I never really was on board and hopped on the bandwagon, but they're a very interesting population um, to study. The next type of patients that we see are Palestinians. There's two kinds of them. There's the ones who have collaborated with Israel and the army, and they're sort of under a witness protection program in Israel. And they have, they're very um, simple medical patients, but they have one issue that you cannot get family history or background history. They will not tell you anything. Um, they don't want you to know where they're from, what their family member has. They're very scared of being found by their neighbors and their relatives. So you just have to deal with whatever they give you. The other type of Palestinians we see are the ones who are seeking medical emergent treatment and are crossing the border from the West Bank or from the Gaza Strip and arriving in Beersheba because we're sort of like this, uh, this funnel point where they can all converge. And, and they present a great challenge, I think, ethically when uh, you have to see those patients. So for example, one, uh, during one of the conflicts, we had rockets like falling over Beersheba all night. And in the morning, a morning report in the OBGYN ward, we had this lady that came in from Gaza with preeclampsia and we had to basically go through her delivery and deliver her baby. And it presented a like, great challenge for me and I think the rest of my colleagues and my other uh, students. Because how are you supposed to deal with that? <coughs> we just like spend the night in the bomb shelter and now today we have to go and actually help somebody from Gaza. But again, this is what I was saying before and this is where uh, the idea of humanistic medicine takes its entire purpose is that we are standing as the example to the world of what the solution is and not what emphasizing what the problem is uh, currently there. Um, so that's another group of patients that we see. Obviously we have a lot of Jews, um, very interesting population because they come from all sorts of backgrounds, from Russia, from Eastern Europe, we also have some from North Africa, Tunisia, Morocco, and all sorts of backgrounds. And it's very interesting because I think when we are medicine in the US, we are told about those diseases that are specific to Ashkenazi Jews, uh, like Tay-Sachs, and then we talk about the Mediterranean disease with thalassemias and things like that. But then when you go to Israel, all these populations mix together, and you still have to keep track of who's at risk and who can present with what. Um, so it's a very interesting population. Another very cool population that nobody uh, thinks about when we think of Israel are the black Hebrews. Um, they do not consider themselves Jewish, but they do a lot of Jewish practices. They live just south of Beersheba and Dimona. Most of them are from Chicago which is super odd when you go into the emergency room and you hear somebody screaming in English like, what's going on? And you see the chart and the name of the patient is like Chanel something. And, but they are very unique is that we work a lot with them because they speak English and they have very strict dietary uh, uh, diet. So they, they're strict vegans. They come in with huge problems of vitamin B12, folate deficiencies, and that's also something that is uh, very specific to them. Our most, I think, in my opinion, and that's just my opinion, our most difficult population are the African migrants coming from Ethiopia, Eritrea, Sudan, and the way they, um, how they get to Israel is usually atrocious. They are usually abducted, there's abuse, whether physical, uh, sexual, all sorts of things, and they come to Israel to find refuge, to find health care, and when they come, it's very difficult because you have to deal with them on a 
psychiatric basis and ask them all those questions and it's very tough for them to talk about their experiences and it's very difficult for us because we cannot assume anything. We have no idea what they've been through. We can't imagine what they've been through. So unless they tell us, there's nothing we can do. And on top of that, when they left their original country, they, most of them, a lot of them had medical problems that were not attended to and they come to Israel with 10 years of natural course of history that, that nobody has taken care of. And even the textbooks sometimes don't describe the kind of disease that we see at the stage that we observe them. So the one that I was very familiar with was the young girls with thyroid problems coming in with borders the size of footballs, and it presents a huge challenge medically, surgically. And again, these are cases where you can be involved as a student because of the volume of the population that we see and really have an impact and be exposed to great events. Uh, Obviously, it goes without saying that um, with the recurrent conflicts in the Gaza Strip, we see a lot of soldiers. Um, for me, it's, I've always been very admiring of the soldiers of the Israeli Defense Forces, and I've never uh, been able to go to battle with them. But the next best thing, I think, is to be able to take care of wounded soldiers is really cool. It's really difficult as a medical student, because, especially as a Jewish medical student, because they remind you constantly that it's not just like conflict, it's not just war, it's actually our identity that is being threatened. And to be actually helping out the soldiers, it's always mixed emotions you have to deal with, and it, it ends up being very difficult cases. Um, but it's always very helpful, very good to be there for the soldiers. It really makes you feel. So now you pretty much have an idea of all the different kinds of people that we see in uh, Be'er Sheva. Basically, just look up at the chart, and from the name, you're going to have to take a whole different history, ask different questions, and it really trains you well for whenever uh, you go into residency. For most of us who came back to the States, we're really well trained in actually asking pertinent questions to our patients. So the next and last thing I want to talk about are our faculty. And I was reading this quote from William Osler, and I thought it was very much what I've seen from my attendings at Soroka. Um, he said they would remind us continually that in the records of no other profession is there to be found so large a number of men who have combined intellectual preeminence with nobility of character. And I think these two attributes are exactly what I've seen in all of my professors uh, at Ben Gurion University. They were really, really smart people, that's for sure. But the nobility of character aspect of it is really something that you don't see in every hospital. And I think in Israel it's something that a lot of people are uh, fortunate to um, see in their teachers. So, just going to give you a quick example. This is Teddy Bear Hospital, which is a program we run every year, run by the students. And we actually ask the children from the community to come to the hospital with their teddy bear, preferably broken teddy bears. And we have ambulance, x-ray, and surgery, and IV teams, and triage. And basically, they go through what they would go through in a regular hospital. And a friend of mine actually suturing a laceration on one of the teddy bears, and the children help. And it helps them demystifying the idea of going to the hospital, which is a very big thing in Be'er Shalom when they have to come, when there's attacks, terrorist attacks, <coughs> anything that could happen. And so this is very cool, and I've been part of many of them, and it really gives you a sense of building a bond with your community. And it's like, I mean, I'm a pediatrician, so it's awesome to work with children who are not sick. <laughs> and, uh, and this is really cool. But then, going back to our faculty, if you go through the stations, you can run into um, Professor Sofer at the time, who was the dean of our medical school, and he's an internist. He is 
super busy. He's like one of really one of the big shots in the hospital. But suddenly you see this guy taking blood pressure on a teddy bear, and you're like, the internal medicine board has like patients in the hallway, and you're like, what are you doing? Go back to the floor. But this is what the faculty there does. It's just they take the time to be there for their patients and build their strength, the, the, their bond with the community. And it may sound and it may like a menial task, but it turns out to be essential for the type of medicine that is practiced in Israel. And then you think you're in Beersheba, you're in the middle of nowhere, you have all those weird people you have to deal with, and you re forget that most of the professors there are world-renowned. And this is a picture of me and my wife, Professor Margolis, who's a professor of pediatrics. He's my mentor. He's the reason why I decided to join the field of pediatrics. And recently, I had a talk with the dean of medical education at Mount Sinai, who's also a pediatrician. And when I told him that he was my mentor and professor, he's like, but he's the one who taught me. And I'm like, are you serious? And suddenly, I'm with this big shot person at Sinai who basically learned from the same person that I did in, in Beersheba, of all places. So we always underestimate, because it is a very small town, that the professors there are second class, but they're really not. They publish, uh, they're really, in each of their field, they're very well known. And it means that as medical students, we get extremely, extremely, uh, an education that I think is at, the, is at the at the forefront of medical research and, and healthcare worldwide. Um, something else here is, Another of the things that we learned in Israel, this was the infamous NICU transfer. We were in the middle of a conflict and we had to move the entire neonatal ICU to a shared area because there was really uh, rockets that started to increase in frequency. So we had to move every baby to uh, this sort of makeshift NICU in the, in the bomb shelter. And I like this picture because there's sort of every person from the hospital uh, hierarchy in there. You have a nurse. You have an orderly, you have an attending, you have an administrator. There were also some soldiers, there were some students, and it was all hands on deck to move those babies to uh, the bomb shelter. And so you're there, I was there, and, and it was very hectic, but we managed to do everything, and every baby was, was fine. And as you may know, it's usually during transport that crap happens. Uh, when you transport a patient, this is when everything can go wrong, and so it was very stressful. But we managed to do it, and everybody was fine, and no rocket fell in the hospital, so that was great. And then I came back to New York, I was at Columbia as a sub-intern, and I was on call the night of Hurricane Sandy. And suddenly you think that this thing that you did in Beersheba is like the thing you're going to do once in your lifetime, and I found myself sort of leading the rest of the medical students there to sort of discharge patients before 11 so that we can make room, help the ICU, clear the bed, so that when we receive transfer in the middle of Hurricane Sandy, we'll be able to accommodate the patient. And everybody in my team was really fascinated by the fact that I was so well-versed in uh, disaster relief and things like that, but it turns out that this is the kind of skills you get without even thinking about it while you study uh, in Israel. Finally, um, this is Professor Sherwin Newland, who came to speak at my graduation. Um, I didn't have a chance to work with him, but he gave us really uh, strong messages that I still carry with me today. And he raised a question that I think, I'm, and I'm going to close with this, uh, he raised a question about medicine. Like how did medicine survive all those uh, centuries? When you think about the fact that when people were sick, we used to bleed them thinking we're going to cure them, where somebody had a gunshot wound, you had to pour boiling oil on them, 
who, how come medicine is still around? People should have said, you know what, doctors, you guys don't know what you're doing. We're going to figure something else out. But still, medicine survived and is still present today. And thank God for technological advancements. We still practice pretty good medicine today. And he answered that question by quoting Hippocrates, who said that uh, some patients, though conscious that their condition is perilous, recover their health simply through their contentment with the goodness of the physician. And this is something that is etched in our brain in Beresheva, is that no matter how much access you have to MRIs and technological advances, the most important thing is that your patients should know you're going to be there through thick and thin. Rockets, no rockets. You're going to be there tomorrow at 8 to round and see them. And this is something that to me now is second nature, but it's, it's not very easy. And um, I think this really applies to uh, the training that I received in, in Bechtel. And uh, with that, I'd like to thank you very much. And if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Okay, so we're going to take questions for like 10 minutes because the other session is running a little bit behind. So if anyone has questions, please. Uh, what was the transition like from you being in America to joining medical school? From where to where? From being, from being YU in this place. So um, the transition was very good. First of all, every doctor, this is my daughter Raphael. Uh, first of all, every doctor in Israel speaks English. And this is very, for me, amazing. I grew up in France where nobody speaks English. So you go there, and if the medical team sees that one of the students speaks English, rounds will be happening in English. And so that really helps transitioning. We have a very two-year Opan where we learn medical Hebrew, and it's very helpful. You're, by the time you go to clerkship and on the, on the floors, you're able to uh, converse with your patients. Again, like you see a lot of the patients don't speak even Hebrew, so you need to uh, use translators. But this transition, I think YU prepares us very well to transition uh, to Israel. Considering the stigma with um, international medical degrees, what do you think about that? So, um, it's very true. If you come out of a medical school that was um, outside the U.S., it's very difficult to get positions as residents back uh, in, in, the, in the state. And there's two things that you have to take into account. If you go to big centers like New York, there's a lot of Jewish doctors, and they all know Israel. And if most of them know about our program, and they know that if you train in Israel, you really have great education. Also, there's a lot of graduates that are still residents now, and they really uh, are great ambassadors of the, uh, of the Israeli medical schools. So I found that when I was interviewing for residencies, my program was known, and I had no problem getting residencies, and I got multiple offers. So I think it's, 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 it's a hurdle, but I think it's totally manageable, especially when you come out of programs such as the Norman, who have staff that is known worldwide. And I pretty much went on every interview, and people knew my professor which was a very big thing when you come with letters of recommendation. You don't want people to say, I don't know what that person is. So I think, I think it was a challenge, but manageable. And our partnership with Columbia really uh, sort of a voucher. When people see that we went to Columbia for a year and we had no problem adapting, they sort of trust us with, uh, with patients. Can you talk a little bit about that partnership with Columbia? So basically, it's a very interesting partnership. We have a lot of faculty that comes to Beersheba to teach us certain organ systems. So. Um, Pulmonary medicine was taught by professors from Columbia who traveled to Beersheba and gave us three-week lectures each one. Uh, and then during fourth year, we go to Columbia to um, go on electives. And you pick, you pick your elective based on your decision to pick a, a specialty. And it's really good because you're, it's really a trial by fire. You go there and you're like, I really hope I'm ready. And it turns out you are ready. And Columbia, I think, is one of 
it's really a good place to try that because it's it's uh, it's one of the best centers in the world. And if we can make it there, we're pretty much it's pretty much sad. It's it's a it's a it guarantee that what what we receive as a training is, is okay. And uh, and it's a very strong partnership. It's been there for like ten years, and uh, people there know about us. And we have their students coming to Israel for global medicine rotation. So it's a strong bond that we have. How is the reverse transfer training in Israel and coming back and practicing medicine here? So there's a lot of things. I think I'm, at, I'm on par with the rest of my interns in terms of knowledge. Uh, there's some other things that I'm a bit behind. The, the hierarchy in America is very rigid. And in Israel, we're really taught to put patients first. So um, sometimes it's really liked by my attending. Sometimes people wish I was going through the channels more. But I don't have a problem going to patients' room and answering questions because I don't want patients to be waiting and seeing doctors going in and out. So a lot of people really like it, and that's the Israeli way we talk to our patients. We sit down, we spend time with them, and sometimes that's an issue. But most of the people I work with are happy with that. With that. Uh, as well. um, so <laughs> I'm I uh, one of the main reasons why I came back was I have a lot of loans. Uh, I have to pay back those loans. But some of my friends who are fortunate enough to afford medical school without taking loans actually are doing residency there, and they're extremely happy. Um, so we have always a portion of our class that stays back and does residency there. But most of us have tons of loans to pay back. Anybody else? Yes? Uh, what was the difference between preparing for an uh, international medical school as opposed to a U.S. medical school? Did you have to take any special courses or tests or anything? No, so it's... it's um, so uh, the, the University of Ben-Gurion is divided. We have the Israeli program, which is a six-year program out of the military or out of high school. And we have the uh, Medical School for International Health, which is an American program. It's a three-year uh, a three-year program. And you come in with just your college prerequisites and your MCAT, and you go there and you do four years, just like with the American Medical School. Most, all of your tests are from the National Board of Medical Examiners, which comes from here. Uh, you take examinations here at Columbia. So we're pretty much in, in sync with our fellow Americans. Right. Yes. In terms of finding jobs in Israel, what's better, doing medical school residency in America or Israel? So when you're in Israel, um, it, there's only three or four medical schools. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of Jews, a lot of Jewish moms who want their sons to be doctors. So not all of the high school graduates get into medical school in Israel, so they have to go to uh, Hungary and Russia and things like that. So when you come out of school in Israel, you pretty much have any job you want anywhere. Um, so it's very easy when, you, when you're looking for residents in Israel, pretty much people will line up to uh, get your uh, signature. Um, so, it's, so for that, I think there's no problem. Uh, when you come back to the States, like I said before, it's a bit of a challenge to go through all the paperwork, but then once you do that, most of, I mean, my wife and I have pretty much like 25 interviews for our job. And we're really yeah. um, in Beersheba. So it's, uh, like I said, it's, uh, we have a lot of Russians who are, some of them not very religious, and so we have a lot of people from North Africa, very traditionalist and very uh, uh, Sephardic. So uh, most of the city will be quiet during Shabbat, for example. So you won't have cars. I remember going to Haifa and you had buses running, which was kind of disturbing for me. But in Beersheba, it's very quiet. The main road in Beersheba actually is the road that takes you to Elat. So you'll have cars going by there, but if you go inside in the city, it's very quiet. People are mostly uh, Shomer Shabbos, and uh, most of the shops are kosher. We have plenty of supermarkets which are kosher. There's a lot of synagogues, so it's really no problem. And there's a synagogue in the hospital. Yes. Um, so I'm a medical student, and I'm 
but it's very difficult to get them in any hospital because patients are leaving. Anybody else? Yes? Do you assess the future for training to interrupt their practice? Um, right now, I mean, I mean, just our residency, so I'm not really thinking about it. But if down the road it's an option, I will seriously consider it. Uh, depending where I can practice, what can I do, what the status of my family. I mean, it, it will be a big decision, but I would have no problem with that. Especially in Shabbat Shalom. And I'm not just saying, like, I'm not going to go to uh, Adassa and just like, say, you know, with, I really like my time in Be'er Shabbat, and the hospital there is, is pretty amazing. Hi, my name is Jeff. Um, I want to just either like stay here or take a minute or two break until the other speaker comes to the room. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna okay. Go. okay.